Welcome to day 106 of Shaped by the Word, season two, the drama of scripture. I'm Paul Kemp here with David Keefe and Matt Kresge. Last week was kind of uh, Guy's Week. Actually, last week was Guy's Week. Uh, Katie Kresge's back at the table with us this week. Cindy's still a holdout this week. Hopefully, we can convince her you know, to come back as well. Uh, we continue our journey through Joshua. Uh, Joshua is about a new generation of children of Israel. Uh, the previous generation came all the way to the edges of God's promises, and they were, were more focused on their circumstances and the obstacles that stood before them than they were the power of God. And so they uh, wasted away in the wilderness. This is a generation who is leaning hard into the promise of God. God is showing himself faithful to them like he did the previous generation. In the same way the previous generation had gone through the Red Sea and crossed the Red Sea, this generation has crossed uh, the River Jordan. In the same way God demonstrated his power over Egypt to the first generation, he has demonstrated his power over the Canaanites in a very unconventional you know, kind of battle as they march around the city and God delivered. Jericho into their hands and it looks as if everything is is going well then they come to a smaller town a town that you should be able to conquer easily they send about 3,000 of their men into battle and they realize that something is is, is deadly wrong uh, that they're not as successful as they thought they could be and it's because they have not listened to the word of the Lord and followed the commands of the Lord there's someone in Israel who has implicated all of Israel, who has kept some of the devoted things for themselves. And so God teaches them a very important lesson. We saw last week in Joshua when the commander of the Lord's army appears, and Joshua said, who are you for? Are you for us or our enemies? And he said, neither. I stand as the commander of the Lord's army. And you see here in chapter 7 and 8, God must surely not only judge the sins of the world, but also the sins of his people. So you see a sense of judgment, you see a sense of regrouping, and you see a sense of moving forward as we come to Joshua chapter 8. As always, even though uh, you know some of these passages, as we're talking about conventional warfare, are far from some of the inspirational passages we, you might find in the Psalms, mm-hmm. they nevertheless do reveal to us you know, the heart of God and, and the character of God. Mm-hmm. And as we come to them, we want to see him clearly. And not only that, we want to see ourselves clearly. And and we want to see Christ Jesus clearly. So as uh, we turn to chapter 8 and continue our journey, let's offer ourselves in this moment to the Lord. Katie, we're so happy to have you back. <laughs> Why don't you lift us up with a word of prayer? That sounds good. Father, thank you for this moment that you've given us. Um, Thank you that you meet us where we are and wherever we find ourselves today, whether it's sitting around a table like we are or um, doing things around the house or on our way to work, um, that you meet us, that you're faithful um, to reveal your heart and character to us through your word and God, that you encourage us in the midst of our circumstances with your word and with your spirit. So thank you. Um, Thank you for all you've given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for these words we're about to read. Would you um, use them to change our hearts, God, as we ask every single time, just transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Joshua chapter 8. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I, for I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. 
should you do I and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourselves, set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men, and he sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You're to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the lure. I and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush, rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hands. When you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to a place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was uh, with them marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. And, of course, you've probably noticed if you're reading from the app that I've gone a little bit further than I should. We went through verses 1 through 8. Now we skip over to verse 18 just to get the conclusion of the chapter. Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 18, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand for into your hand i will deliver the city so joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand as soon as he did this the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward they entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire and the men of i looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky but they had no chance to escape in any direction israel's uh, the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned their back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and they brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until it had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of the city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it to a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. Sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains there to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones in which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stone a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and the other half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings, and the curses, just as written in the book of the law. 
There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded them. Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. And you have, you know, of course, one of the, you know, one of the dilemmas or one of the hardships of uh, the Old Testament. Uh, you have uh, the um, the warfare against the, the Canaanites, which you know, in many cases seems uh, to be excessive. In many cases, you know, seems to be you know uh, oppressive, and it seems to be far, you know, from the heart and the, and the character of God. And I don't pretend to have all the answers, you know, to the Canaanite dilemma. But one of the things it does, you know, demonstrate to us, and it demonstrates to us very vividly the same thing that was demonstrated, you know, in the previous passage as God judges his own people is, you know, God's judgment. God's uh, glory is, uh, you know, Jim Hamilton has written his book, Matt Kresge introduced me to God's glory in both salvation and judgment. He is glorified when he does punish sin because that is true in his character and he is glorified when he rescues people from the very sin you know that, that he had so you see a clear you know, a, a clear picture of judgment and that's highlighted by the renewal of the covenant because the covenant is made up of both blessings and curses mm-hmm. we're blessed when we walk with god and we fall under his judgment when we you know defy we defy god so you see an outward manifestation of his judgment you know in this particular in this particular passage and we even kind of see that at the start of the passage as well as Joshua's lamenting kind of their first attack against Ai and they they put Achan to death and they're mourning um, the judgment of God on Achan and on the whole assembly of Israel. And, but then we do see his blessing kind of at the start of this that, you know, the Lord does go to Joshua and tells him, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, take the whole army, you know, because for I have delivered into your hands, you know, the king of Ai. And so again, just seeing that kind of at the start leading out of chapter 7 into chapter 8 and then as well at the end of our chapter yep and <clears throat> excuse me and obviously we hear again those words you know do not you know be afraid and do not be discouraged mm-hmm. and of course that is the heart of the message that you know God has for Joshua mm-hmm. he is going to be in a very difficult leadership position as he leads these people who have proved to be an unruly people who have grumbled against God and have challenged you know his his leaders and also as they go into this unique situation where they're trusting God in these you know battle plans you know as well so there's going to be plenty of times in the ups and down of the conquest <coughs> so sorry people in the ups and downs of conquest uh, for them to have real fear is the obstacles coming against them are, are very real and to also be discouraged that things do not always go as smoothly as you'd want them to. So in a perfect world, there's nothing to fear. In a perfect world, there's no reason to be discouraged. Joshua did not live in that world, and neither do you and I. So the message of uh, uh, Judges, you know, or Joshua rather to us is the same. Mm-hmm. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Do not be afraid. And do not be overcome by discouragement yeah. as well. And, and those are those are hard messages. Yeah, it's interesting to read this chapter in light of chapter one, where God comes to Joshua and tells him, you know, mm-hmm. be strong and courageous, you know, meditate on my law, you know, keep keep the words of the law on your lips. And, and here, what we see right after the rebellion of Israel and the judgment of God upon them, God again shows up to him and and you know, in a way, says, be strong and courageous. And then at the end, after this victory, what do they do? They renew the covenant. And in every single word of the covenant, you know, he says mm-hmm. that he didn't even skip over a single word that Moses commanded. They begin to meditate on God's law, and so just to kind of watch that, what God instructed in, you know, Joshua to do in chapter one, being played out 
not just at the height of, you know, kind of, oh, Israelites' faithfulness, but in fact, right after the unfaithfulness of Israel, but the faithfulness of God. And so this chapter to me is just a reminder of that God is faithful to his people despite their faithlessness. And at the same time, you know, this, this call to to covenant renewal, um, but to to live out of that what God mm-hmm. to live out of what God has commanded them to do. I love the tense that's used um, when he says, I guess that's verse one still of chapter eight is, "For I've delivered into your hands the king of I." It's not I will deliver into your hands. It's not a future tense, but um, he's saying I already have. And of course, I don't know what the original Hebrew says, but my English NIV translation. She went to Greek in college. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I I think that's important for us to see, and it's important for that that they saw it too. That it was already done. It's kind of what you know what's been already done for us in Christ. I, that, I wasn't thinking about that until just now, but it's already been done. But we still are living out those promises that he's given us. We're still having to face those things that are in front of us. But yeah, that he had already delivered them. They just needed to be obedient. And here we see that, that when they were, um, the beauty that came, I mean, beauty, the, the beauty of his faithfulness to them, it's still an awful sight to see. But um, And then just, I think, the renewal. Uh, these are just the things that really stuck out to me is just, what Matt brought up, the renewal of the covenant, um, and that I think them facing such a victory um, in an important time um, for them, and it's it would be so easy for them to forget that it was the hand of the Lord delivering them. Oh, there's no doubt. But because they spend this mm-hmm. time um, going over every word of, of the covenant, I think is just pointing them back it's just that redirection that we constantly now, need as well and they've had you know already a point of remembrance when they've set up the stones after crossing jericho and here is another very vivid point of uh, remembrance and of course moses is given specific instructions in deuteronomy when you get to these two mountains you know to, to go on each of the mountains and, and pronounce it back and forth and hebrew tenses are hard to determine i'm guessing it's a perfect which does mean it's a you know it's an accomplished fact um and, and of course, our salvation as well is an accomplished fact. It is a gift that is already given to us in which we we walk in obedience in and enjoy the fruit of the gift that has already been given to us. And of course, that's you know the application that you know Katie's making as well. God has already accomplished a major victory on our behalf, and now uh, it's wow. <laughs> what a time to stutter. You know, now it's upon us you know, to walk in the victory that we've already received and he has already accomplished. Mm-hmm. There's also an interesting you know, kind of subtle you know, subtext to this. Uh, the first victory over Jericho in all appearances was very supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's an unconventional warfare. And so it's very obvious that this is the Lord's work. This is very... You know, this is very traditional warfare to set up an ambush, to set up a diversion, uh, to close ranks, you know, on both sides and capture the flank and do all of those. And we tend to think when things happen miraculously, you know, that God is at work. And then when things happen, you know, kind of normally that's us doing our work. In both cases, we couldn't be further from the truth. God works in the things that are miraculous Mm. to our you know, to our point of view, but he also works in the common, you know, warp and woof of everyday life 
accomplishing his purposes and in both instances is god working in and through us in order to accomplish his purposes when it seems extraordinary and when it seems ordinary it's still the work of one in the same God. You know, one of the interesting things, I, I know we're out of time, but we are out I, of time, I do find this Christy. interesting, just a connection from Deuteronomy. But where, when has that ever mattered? I know. it's <laughs> We're reading the Bible. <laughs> but yeah, in Deuteronomy, where God is, is calling his people to faithfulness and to obedience, um, he tells them in Deuteronomy 11, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and the curse if you disobey the commands. And he keeps going. He says, When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you're entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan westward, toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Morah, uh, in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arabah, in the vicinity of Gilgal. Gilgal. Man, I know you said we're, I know you said we're reading God's yeah. word. How much are you going to read? Read it fast. Yeah. One more. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure to obey all the decrees and laws I'm setting before you today. You know, right after their unfaithfulness, where they failed to do this, they begin to renew the covenant. And where do they place the people? They place them on these two mounts. You know, half the people go here, half the people go there. So I, it's just a it's kind of a fascinating. No, it, kind of it, it, it's 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 very vivid. Uh, you know. Uh, and obviously, we'll, we'll see Mount Gerizim again when Jesus meets a young lady and she said, where do we worship? You worship in Jerusalem. We worship here on this mountain. And, of course, Jesus will say, in, in neither place. And we need to realize, you know, that we've been removed from the curse of the law, and that means ultimately we, we will not face the, these curses. But in the same way, when we walk in disobedience, we are subject to God's God's discipline and the consequences of our sin. So as we've said, you know, before when we come to Galatians, you know, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, a person will reap what he sows. If we sow to please the Spirit from the Spirit, we will, you know, inherit life. If we sow to please the flesh from the flesh, we'll inherit destruction. And so we do experience the consequences of our sin. And they are vivid, as the last chapter, you know, showed as well. And so I think we're about 15 minutes over a 15 minute podcast <laughs> here. bonus episode yes yeah it used to be 15 <laughs> minutes in the word yeah. now it's unlimited time to be shaped by the word <laughs> heavenly father thank you for your word and thank you that uh, you have provided uh, your heart and your character to us and that you've revealed yourself in it and father may we uh, hear you and may we be formed by you and may your spirit complete your work in us through your word for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>